Chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all your Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go. We must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there have been such after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees, which the hail had left. Remember, the hail was the previous plague. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord and the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. So these 20 verses are Again, plague number eight, the plague of the locusts. And some of these plagues, we have a little bit of narrative about them. And some of these plagues, we have a substantial narrative about them. And in this case, we do have 20 verses dealing with the locusts, the grasshoppers. And it's interesting, various things are going on here, because as we're moving toward plague number eight, you know, we're at eight, nine, and ten, and then there's deliverance. So Pharaoh's heart has been severely hardened by this time. And God's just given him over to being Pharaoh, and the land is being destroyed. And so there's different events going on behind the scenes and in the scenes here with the locust plague number eight. The first thing that gets our attention in application is that the Lord himself says there in the very beginning, in verse one, 
that I may show these signs of mine before him, that is Pharaoh, and verse 2, and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your sons' sons the mighty works done in Egypt, and that you may know that I'm the Lord. When God does powerful things, it can be blessing for one group of people and a judgment and a chastening for another. And clearly that's what's happening here. Because as God is judging Egypt with the plague of the grasshoppers, it's a sign. God says it's a sign of mine. It's a sign from the Lord before Pharaoh. So it's a sign from God to Pharaoh, who's at war with God, that God is God and Pharaoh is not. And these grasshoppers are a sign. These locusts of great destruction, unseen without precedent before this point and since that point is a sign to this man and it's a sign of judgment of God against the man his kingdom his gods everything so God is judging the man and his gods and his people who are following him it's a judgment but on the other hand God, as he's judging, is giving the same sign to his people for the current generation to tell their children and their children's children. So, for example, I just came back from Denver where my son Luke and his wife Belle had their second child, Wilkie. He's a boy. And so Luke, of course, is a Baran, so it's Wilkie Baran. And Luke is my son and Wilkie's my grandson. So in that type of context... With this plague and these plagues, this sign of the grasshoppers, the locust, is for a sign to Pharaoh with no hope of salvation or redemption because he's been hardened and just given over. As Pastor Chuck used to say, there's a line you cross that you never come back from, and Pharaoh had crossed that line. But in the case of God's people, it's a sign for them that God makes a distinction. And there's no, there's no judgment on them. There's judgment on those who oppress them and attack them. Which brings us to a good point. The Bible says that judgment is mine, says the Lord. And we're to pray for our enemies. We're to love our enemies. We're to forgive our enemies. But the judgment of our enemies, it'll take place in due time. And so what's really important for us is that we can pray for them, forgive them, and intercede for them. And we're told to do that from top to bottom for kings, rulers, in authority. And, you know, think about what evil rulers Paul and the apostles had in their timeline. But they would have prayed for those rulers and... The judgment of Nero and all those people that persecuted Christians in the first century, that's for God to do. The judgment's not ours. It's not for us to to bring, judgment belongs to the Lord. But we need to know that God will set straight every crooked path, like we've been already talking about in this book previously. So it's a sign to Pharaoh, "You're, you're, you're done. But it's a sign for God's people to tell their children and their children's children that God is faithful and he'll deal with evil. So I like that. It's just, it's encouraging. What if God didn't deal with evil? Like, what if evil people, and there's a lot of evil people running around our planet right now doing very evil things. Make no mistake, there are very evil, powerful people doing very evil, powerful things on this planet right now. And think how hopeless it would be for the follower of Christ, and we're told we're like lambs led to the slaughter, Romans 8. Think how hopeless it would be if we didn't know that God is, is perfect justice, and that God is righteousness, and in him is no darkness at all, and he's light. Think if the evil that people in power have, whether it's money or politics or government or media and these sorts of things, if these evil people actually could get away with what they're getting away with in time in eternity, how grievous would that be? 
But have no fear, body of Christ. They don't get away with anything in eternity. They only confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before they're cast out in outer darkness. God does make a distinction. So let not our hearts be troubled or removed because of powerful, evil, demonic, demented men and women on this planet at this time. Because it's a sign to Pharaoh, I'm going to judge you. And the cross is a sign to those who reject it, I'm going to judge you. Second Thessalonians tells us that God allows the world to believe a delusion because they reject the truth. So when Christ comes back and for his church and the world goes into the great tribulation, people are only going to get what they deserve. He's going to judge them, and he's going to judge them by letting them be completely given over to the hardness of their hearts in rejecting the glorious gospel. They don't want Christ reigning over them, so they get the Antichrist to reign over them. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're restraining that right now as a church, but it's time when it does it. So have no fear. Judgment belongs to the Lord. He'll judge all this evil that we see going on. He'll judge it, all of it. But for us, we're told that judgment begins in the house of God. So we're to hallow be his name and revere his name and serve him with uh, fear and trembling in a good way, not as a taskmaster, but as a, 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 an Abba Father, our Abba Father. But just know, hey, we're delivered from the grasshoppers, and we're blessed. We've got all the blessings. God's going to take care of us. We're his people. And there is a distinction. So he'll judge Pharaoh in Egypt, but he's going to bless us, our children, and our children's children as we go forward in every generation. It's very comforting to me. Not that I take pleasure in the judgment of anybody, because it says that the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but just to know that there's perfect justice in eternity, and that evil's on the side of judgment, and righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ is on the side of the promises where everything's yes and amen in Jesus' name. So we get to tell our children and our children's children about how good the Lord is. That's what we get to do. Isn't that awesome? Now we read on to another thing that happens is uh, Moses said, how long are you going to harden your heart? But then Pharaoh's own people say in verse 7, like, do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? And that's the problem with when you harden your heart and you fight God. Your whole world's falling apart. When we used to do the drug and alcohol ministry and people would come in and 30 years ago at Calvary Chapel Vista and they would be addicted to crystal meth and alcohol or whatever, their lives were just destroyed. They're just completely given over to the dark side. And they would think everything's okay. Like drugs deceive you and, and, and alcohol can deceive you and you think you're a functioning alcoholic or you're a functional drug addict and you can do stuff, but you don't even realize you're destroyed and you can meet people that are homeless. Now, there's people that are homeless for various reasons, but there are many people that are homeless because of drugs and alcohol and they're living on the streets and they're digging through trash cans and they blaspheme at times and curse the Lord and you just feel like saying, don't you yet realize that, you're, that Egypt is destroyed? Like, haven't you had enough? Like, how much is enough? Like, do you not re yet realize that you, you lost all the blessings from your parents that could have put you through college? You lost all the blessings of your parents where they bailed you out so many times and sent you to rehab and you walked away and you walked away and you walked away? Like, like that's how it works. And then you might even take that beyond individuals, just not just drugs and alcohol, but sin in general. Like, people that are unfaithful and infidelity. Like, have you not yet seen that you've destroyed your marriage? You've destroyed your kids? You've destroyed all these things? Like sin hardens and sin deceives and pride goes with sin and it hardens and deceives. So Pharaoh here, it's like everything he has is being destroyed. And is everyone, like everyone can tell, like everyone, there, like everyone in the court, everyone that works for him in his council of leaders, his cabinet or whatever, they're like, don't you know, like there's nothing left. We've been, there's nothing left. Don't you yet know that there's nothing left? We don't ever want to be in that place. 
But for me personally, it's hard not to look at this and think like all that we've been through in my timeline in America as I moved towards 60. And I think like being born in 61 when they took prayer out of public schools the same year I was born. Kennedy was president. The year before he was assassinated. And right before the, the year before the Cuban Missile Crisis too. And it's like we've gone from being this incredible nation to a shell of what we were. Now, some things have improved. We've gotten better in our country. Civil rights, obviously, for ethnicities and certain gender equality matters, of course. But the murders of tens of millions of innocent babies, the defenseless, the agendas of evil and darkness, and we just see the destruction of our society from within. And we see it. We've watched it. We have confusion over origin. We have, and it's been propagated in the education system, lies upon lies upon lies from the father of lies, denying our creation and our accountability to the creator. And so we embrace these evolutionary philosophies that were embraced by Marx, Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, and all these other authoritarian. Hey, Darwinism is a perfect fit if you want to rule the world and tell everyone what to do. It is a perfect worldview of ideas. And its result is the murder of millions and millions of innocent people. The gospel where it's properly applied is the saving of millions and millions of people. Don't get confused on those two things. And our founding fathers, all but about a half dozen of them that signed that constitution were all church-going men, God-fearing men. And now look what we got. Look what we got in the middle of April 2020. We just imploded on ourselves. So one might say to America, do you not yet see do you not yet see what's happened? It's just absolute madness. It's madness. And so many of these things are just like, if you dwell on them, you'll be completely overwhelmed. But they're out of our control. We can pray, and we can love the Lord and seek the Lord, and we can love those people that are around us and be the best we can as a husband and a wife with our children and our, our family. That's what we do. That's what we can control. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And the voice of all those preachers with the Lord now. Billy Graham, Vernon McGee, Bill Bright, Chuck Smith. You can change the name of their ministries because you think it's politically incorrect, like Youth for Christ did, Crusade for Christ. Give it a new name no one even remembers anymore, Bill Bright. There's a way that seems right to a man, but then thereby is death. And I grew up with generations, a generation of preachers who preached the glorious gospel and they're gone and they're with the Lord in glory and now look around us at what we see. It's like a being in the woods with no compass. The only compass is the cross of Jesus Christ. So we're here tonight teaching his word and preaching his word. But even as the people of Pharaoh said to their king, do you not yet see that all is destroyed? We might say to a number of states and countries around the world to leaders, do you not yet see what's destroyed? what your ideas, your damnable demonic ideas have done to a society and to an entire generation, do you not yet see that all is destroyed? Whenever we come through this, planet Earth, if we do come through this, it'll never be the same. And the church needs to lead the way with prayer, preaching, love, and humility. Uncompromising preaching, love, and humility. But there's still more. Pharaoh says in verse 9, 
who's going with you? Verse 8, and Moses says, all of us. And Pharaoh's like, you're not taking your kids. Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are taking our children. We had a discussion earlier before service if what we would do, you know, if we lived in Europe during the 30s and we were Jewish and the Gestapo showed up and the Nazis or whatever what we'd do, I can tell everyone in this room, we wouldn't have died on a train in a death camp. We would have died defending our families in Jesus' name. Either we all go all in or not in at all. Our children are going with us and we're leading them in the kingdom. You see what the communists and the socialists and the globalists love to do is they love to steal the minds of the children and re-educate them. We all know that. That's what the fascists did, the Germans, the Soviets did it. Is take the children, even in China, they take the children, they limit your one, and then they take them and they raise your children for you. And look at China today. No, we raise our children in the fear of the Lord. We decide what's best for our children, not big government. Because we serve Jesus Christ, and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are the legacy of the church. And we're with Polycarp and Timothy, all those great saints, St. Patrick, all those ones that came before us. All the Monrovians, all of them. The pilgrims, Jamestown, all of them. All those people truly born again who sought freedom of consciousness with the Lord to live a quiet, peaceful life and not be infringed upon by intrusive, totalitarian, authoritarian government. All of our family goes with us. We don't give our children to the government to raise them. We raise them because we're told that we will train up our children in the ways of the Lord. That's what we're told. We protect our children. We tend our children. And if God says go in the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord, we, like Moses, say, the children go with us. If the government says, who's going with you to do what you're doing? You can meet as a church, a state church in these circumstances, but not the children. We say we all go or no one goes. That's the legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That's the legacy of all those great Russian ministers, evangelicals in the late 1800s under the czar and under communism. We all go. We all go. You end up with communist China when you don't raise your children and you let the state raise your children. Now, if your children choose not to walk with the Lord when they're older, that's their business because they're adults and they make adult decisions. But don't let it be because you handed them off to totalitarian authoritarian governments, especially global governments. We all go. It's all or nothing with the Lord. Jesus said be hot or cold, not lukewarm to the last church, the church of Laodicea. We're all going. Whoever we're going in Jesus' name on this planet right now, Mid-April 2020, we are all going together in Jesus' name. Now the ninth plague, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But in all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling, 
Then Pharaoh called on Mo- to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, No, you must, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And we don't even know what the Lord is going to, you know, how we're going to serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let him go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You've spoken well. I will never see your face again. What's interesting about that, though, is they did see each other's face again. So Pharaoh says, I'm not going to see your face again. And Moses like, Fair enough. It's one of those heated arguments. But they, they did. They're not quite done yet. But it's, it's all... Gonna, this is it. The ninth, the ninth plague is darkness. So we went from the locust to the ninth plague, the darkness. Not as much text, but three days of darkness that could be felt. That's like a foretaste of hell. Hell, Jesus said, is outer darkness. Oh, there's no relief from what's going on. Hell is separation from God. God is light. Him is no darkness at all. Therefore, separation from God is darkness. And it's, it's outer darkness. And it's a place of torment. It's a place of torment. We're told by Jesus that God made hell for the devil and his angels. Devil, is, ultimately hell is made for the first rebellion, but precedes human history, and that's the fall, the angelic uprising in heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan cast out. Hell was made for him, outer darkness. But we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to serve the devil, and we're born in sin as a slave to sin, as a slave to devil, and this world. And we've said this before, Pharaoh's a type of the devil, Egypt's a type of the world, and the slavery is a type of bondage to sin. And so if God's going to deliver us, he's going to completely deliver us. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we're, we're set free to serve the Lord. And when we serve the Lord, not only do the children go with us, all of our possessions go with us. See, the devil wants to negotiate. Hey, you go to church. You go to Harvest Crusade with Greg Laurie. You go to Harvest OC with Greg Laurie. Go to Calvary with Brian Broderson, but don't take the kids. Like, that's what we already saw. But then the devil's like, you know, yeah, it's good to be, yeah, okay, Americans love religion, be religious, you know, just don't, don't, don't force it on anybody, you know, don't be narrow-minded, that's what the devil would say, and the devil would say, and you know, whatever you do, don't let, it, let the Lord be over all your possessions, actually let him be over every possession, it's all his anyways, when you step into eternity, you're leaving it all behind, it's all his, it's all his, everything is his, anything we have is the Lord's given us, including this day, our, our beating heart right now, People we love and care about, people really is the greatest, people are the greatest things on earth, you know, that you could ever have is the relationships that transcend time and eternity. That's what life's about. It's like heaven is people with Jesus. <laughs> heaven is Jesus, Jesus is heaven, and heaven is people who love Jesus, and people love Jesus is heaven. So that's where we're going. That's who we are. But the possessions get left behind, but the possessions can be used for good for the kingdom. You know, like, look at the rich young ruler. Oh, one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have and follow me. If your possessions are the one thing to keep you from serving the Lord, then that's the one thing that'll keep you from the kingdom, or at least being fruitful for the kingdom while you're alive. All in is all in. When you look at the cross, there is nothing fuzzy or ambiguous about the cross. Jesus Christ on the cross is a total slaughter on sin to purchase us from the wages of sin, death. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven upon Jesus Christ, the Son. So we can be saved from that wrath and be the righteousness of God in us through faith in Jesus, and we can fulfill his calling. There's nothing about the cross that's soft or saved. The cross is about all in with everything 
and your possessions are nothing. Who owned all these houses in Huntington Beach in the 20s? They're all gone. They're in eternity. All the brand new cars people bought in the 30s, they're all gone, most of them. Like all the things. Jesus warned about the things that ensnare us, the the good seed that ensnare it, the cares of this life, the riches and the cares of this life. We learn from plague number eight and plague number nine, we do not withhold our children from the Lord and we do not withhold our possessions from the Lord. Everything is the Lord's and we're gonna go serve him with everything. And Pharaoh's like the devil saying, well, not this, not fully that. No, all or nothing is what Moses says and that's what we need to say. And in a time where maybe being tested too on all these things, it's like, no, we're all in. I once had a discussion with a guy on a drive to Cape Hatteras about 30 years ago when I was pastoring Virginia Beach, a surfer. And the discussion was a very religious discussion about the widow's might, the widow putting in her might. And he, he insisted it was the hardest thing to do or the easiest thing to do was to put in her might because what's, what does it matter if you lose a nickel when you only got a nickel? And I insisted it was the most important thing to do because it was all in. And we like to get 99%, but we like to hold on to 1%, and it's all in. That nickel was the hardest five cents, if you will, the widow's might that you ever gave up. It's, it's all in. It's the last thing. The widow's might is like, it's the last thing. All those people giving in from their wealth, it's the widow of their might. It's all in. All in. Hey, this chapter, chapter 10 of Exodus, is all in. You're in, you tell your children what the Lord did for you, your children are going with you and your children's children, and then your possessions are going with you and you're all in and you're leaving and you're moving out of Pharaoh's domain, his power, you're moving out of Pharaoh's palace, you're moving out of Pharaoh's land, his bondage, his slavery, and you're going to the promised land. We're all in. Grasshoppers in darkness. Chapter 11, and the Lord said to Moses, verse one, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and afterward he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt from all, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, all the firstborn of the animals. Then there will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against the man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does, does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of the land. So now this is the preview or the description of the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And even as we talked about that first plague, the, the blood of the Nile, the river being turned to blood, and all the innocent lives that were sacrificed in the Nile River of the Jewish children two generations before. Here now, it's total, hey, I just quote Galatians, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. As a man sows, reaps, so, as a man sows so shall he reap. 
If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life. If you kill innocent babies, don't be surprised if you lose innocent babies. I speak from my own experience. Just God is not mocked. It all comes around. His universe is perfect justice. Now, you might get good justice in the court systems in America or in other countries. You might get poor justice in other countries, and you might get poor justice in America. And who can define perfect justice in some cases anyways, right? But when we transcend dimensions, it's perfect justice. Perfect justice. You know good news about stepping into eternity and breathing your last? In faith in Jesus Christ, apart from going from mortal to immortality, corruptible to incorruptibility, and terrestrial to celestial in your body, in a glorified body to be like he is, and be in glory, which is all wonderful, you're going somewhere where there's perfect justice. You will never be upset by what you see about news or in society or anything else. It'll be perfect justice. This 10th plague is a perfect justice on that generation of Egypt. Make no mistake about it. God allowed them to feel what the Hebrews felt. Can you imagine the sorrow of government taking your baby and killing it? 60 years later, it'd be hard to feel sorry for him, wouldn't it? 80 years later. If you were a parent, a 20-year-old mother, and you had a son, and Pharaoh's croonies, previous Pharaoh's croonies, come and take your baby boy, like little Wilkie, my grandson, who's 10 days old now. They came and took him from us and threw him in the river to their gods. Well, I want to tell you, I probably I wouldn't make it 80 years under those circumstances. I don't think I would. But let's presume the mother would. So she makes it to 100. She was 20 when they did that to her son. And now 80 years later, this is 80 years later, she's 100, and she's leaving Egypt in haste with her unleavened bread, which we'll get to in a moment. And she'll hear the cries of an entire nation of Egypt as she's leaving that country, and she's taking their gold and their silver when she goes from them. And she'll have to think to herself as she goes toward the Red Sea, God is a just judge. For all the sins of the previous generation and what they did to that woman and taking her son from her and throwing him in the river have come upon Pharaoh and his palace. And as Pharaoh is gutted with the death of his firstborn son from the angel of the Lord, what you sow is what you reap. God makes a difference, and God is just. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to the house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lentil of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. Its head 
with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until the morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Well, here it is, the Passover lamb. We just had Passover recently. It's been pointed out to me that Passover in Jerusalem this last week or so was the first Passover since this Passover where all Israel was indoors. 3,500 years of Passovers, and there in Jerusalem and in Israel under this plague, the people were all indoors. They're forbidden by the government to go outside during Passover. What a profound event to have happening. Just for all the things going on on our planet right now and all the um, biblical apocalyptic applications for everything we're seeing, add that to your list, which you probably haven't even thought of. Not that it's really, there's like, not that there's like a Bible prophecy saying something exactly like that, but how profound is it that among all the other things we're going through in the month of March and April, that in Israel, where our president recognized Jerusalem as their capital, they had Passover and they all were indoors for Passover. The most sobering Passover, even more so than World War II, the most sobering Passover for the Jewish people and their entire history since this text. The Lamb. Now we know this is a type of Christ. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're told in 1 Corinthians 5, we've been redeemed by like by a, a lamb. That you know that we keep the, the new, we keep the Passover, we keep the we keep the fest, the feast with the unleavened bread, which is that life's consecrated to the Lord, we're told in 1 Corinthians 5, when it was confronting sin in the church. Then we're told in 1 Peter 1 that we've been redeemed not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood, the blood of a lamb. The blood of Jesus Christ is the most precious thing on the planet because it's the blood of God shed in substitution for our sins. Now, this is the blood of a lamb shed in substitution for the sins of the people, and it's a type of Christ. We'll cover this more when I do the topical study on this text, okay? So, but here, just going through the text verse by verse, we see that the lamb was a new beginning. And the Bible tells us if anyone's in Christ or a new creation, all things have passed away, all things are new. You pass from death to life. You have a whole new life. And look, it says right there, this month shall be the beginning of your months. Verse 1, it's a whole new beginning. It's a new calendar. And when you give your life to Christ, it's a whole new calendar because you're a whole new thing. In Adam, all sin and die, but in Christ, all are made alive. It's a new beginning. <laughs> Very appropriate that Greg Laurie, like some 40 years ago, called this ministry a new beginning because it is a new beginning when you give your life to Christ. And so they had a new beginning, a whole new calendar. God's like, you've been living this way for 430 years as slaves. From now on, this month is your new beginning. The month where you get the lamb without blemish. It can't have any blemish, just like Jesus was sinless. Sinless sacrifice in our place. And then everyone partakes of the lamb. And then they put the blood over the door and the death passed. So thus pass over because the, the angel of death would pass over the house because the blood was there. And even so in Christ, when God sees us, through our, when we receive Jesus Christ, the angel of death passes over us. We pass from death to life through faith in Christ. So God has punished the sins, our sins on the cross through Jesus' sacrifice, and then he's imputed and reckoned to our account his righteousness. So 
under the blood, when we say we're under the blood, it's like the blood on the doorpost that we're, 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 we've passed from judgment. We're not under judgment. We're declared righteous like Jesus. And we have all the promises in Jesus and we have all the blessings in Jesus. So we pass from death to life. And again, we have everything in Jesus Christ. And they would have this on that night and they would eat it in haste and they would eat it with with the unleavened bread. And that unleavened bread speaks of like that sinless life we're called to. Not a perfect sinless life, but that consecrated life where we're, we're moving toward what we're meant to be in Christ that we're not pursuing sin, but we're working through things in the human experience, which we all must do. So there it is. I'll cover that more when we get the topical study on this, on this passage. But the blood I'll pass over you. Now we read on in verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation. So it started with a holy day and another holy day. And the leaven represents sin in the Old Testament. So it's like you just set apart. No matter of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you should observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month of the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at the evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your house, since whoever eats what is leavened is cut off. Is leavened. That same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all our dwelling. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel, the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through the Pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. You shall observe these things as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service, and you shall, it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service that you shall say? It is the Passover, sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the house of the children of Israel, in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. Households, So the people bowed their heads in worship. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So the Passover feast is an opportunity to tell our children about the things of the Lord. Every year the Jewish people would have the Passover feast and it would be a reminder of their deliverance passing from the bondage under Pharaoh, the land of slavery, Egypt, and being slaves. And even so, when we give our life to Christ, we have opportunities to share our testimony with our children. And we don't, in the Christian world, we don't really have the similar feast, although we like to celebrate Christmas and Easter, but, you know, we don't really have something quite like Passover because it really represents that passing from death to life, which happens when whoever gives our life to Christ. It's the flashpoint of our life in Christ is really what it symbolizes. But for them, it was a national deliverance, and so they'd have that testimony but it, it, it's important. It's important that we can have our children ask us, why do we do certain things? Like, why can't I do that or whatever? It's like, well, that's destructive. Why would we let you run on the freeway when you're two-year-old? So why are we going to let you go do that with your friends when you're 16? That's just as destructive. We let you run on the freeway when you're two years old or pick up the poison underneath the sink. Like, there's a distinction. God 
passed over them because they're under the blood. And we realize that our personal lives should be under the blood. Our marriages should be under the blood. Our homes should be under the blood. Our ministry should be under the blood. Wherever we go, we're under the blood. That that's where the forgiveness is. That's where the protection is. That's where the salvation is. That's where the grace is, the mercy. That's where the humility is. It's all under the blood. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so God encouraged them and commanded them to recount his faithfulness to them with the Passover feast. And so I think it's important that we look for opportunities to, when they arrive, arise to tell our children why we are the way we are. It's like, you know, because we're set apart. We're God's people. We're going to heaven. And that's who we are. And the Lord has passed over our sins and our punishment, having laid them on Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God. So, so often when kids grow up in a Christian home, they don't realize all those blessings are there because of the faith of the parents. But they are. If you contrast that with your, maybe their friends that don't have Christian parents, they don't have the same blessings. They don't have the same protection. They, you know, they don't have any of that in, in the same way. So it's good to be under the house, in the house that's under the blood, and to testify of it to our children. And so here comes the 10th plague. And it came to pass, verse 29, at midnight, that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose the night, he, all of his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among the people, both you and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall be, all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having kneaded their bowls, bound in their clothes and their shoulder. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. They had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. It's back wages is really what it is. Verse 37. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramsey to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock, and they baked on leavened cakes of dough which they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And so it came to pass. It took a while. I mean, God said that they would be delivered from this land. He said it before they ever went there. He said it to Abraham before Abraham even had Isaac, the son of promise. Before Abraham and Sarah even had a son through which this nation came, God said to them, said to Abraham, after you're gone, your descendants will be captives in a distant land, but in the fullness of time, I'll bring them back to this land, the promised land. 430 years is a long time. Deliver us. But 430 years to the day. You know, it's almost 430 years to the day is the decree when Jesus would enter Jerusalem. The prophecy from the book of Daniel. It's like 490 years, but it's to the day. When Jesus came on the donkey of the cult, 
Colt. He said, if you only knew this, your day, God had prophesied 400 plus years in advance, the very day that Jesus the Messiah would be presented to the nation of Israel on that famous day that we call Palm Sunday. Well, this is in a different way like Palm Sunday because God had promised they'd be delivered. And on the very day, 430 years, peace out, Egypt. The deliverance has come. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, where he wants, and whom he wants. He makes donkeys talk. And if he says 430 years to the day, that's what it is. Who has resisted his will and prospered? Nobody. Verse 43, we finish up. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A soldier and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, hey, let all of his males be circumcised, then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among them. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. One law. It's interesting with the Jews and the Gentiles, because the Jews being the people of covenant here, and the Gentiles, any other people on the planet, that God had a provision to let them be a part of the promises. We're told in the Old Testament that God wanted them to be a light to the nations. Like when the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon to see his wisdom, like, well, I, it wasn't half told the truth of what, how great God is, your God is for you and your people. God's people are always meant to be a light. Like Noah was a light before the flood. Like Abraham was a light in his timeline to the surrounding peoples. We're always meant to be a light. And the invitation's there. And we can all come through faith in Jesus Christ. We can all go to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in this case, it was circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant for the Jews in the Old Testament. God's like, hey, if you're willing to come the way I've set up to come, you can come and we'll be as one. And so it is with Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father but through him. So if we're willing to come to Jesus, we can be saved and we can share in the promises and share in the hope of heaven. But there is no other way. Peter and John said it best. There's no other name given among heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is one law for the native born and the sojourner. There's one way, Jesus Christ. And we can come his way, which is the way of life, but we need to be very careful because God himself said there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereby is death. So if we say, I don't like this way, well, then go your way. And see who has the final say on every way on that day.